Hey, hi, I'm Saurabh Kumar, founder and CEO at Voidum Motors. last century, there were some key moments when the way the world operated fundamentally changed, which led to the birth of new companies that dominate their category today. Think of a company like Netflix. It was born due to the changing consumer behavior made possible due to the maturity of technology and access to cheap internet. Another such big movement is currently starting as consumers are moving from traditional internal combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles. This has already given us a behemoth like Tesla that is most valuable car company in the world and it will give us a whole breed of EV companies in India. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt is talking with Saurav Kumar, the founder and CEO of Euler, which manufactures commercial electric vehicles. Saurav is a serial founder whose last company was acquired by Paytm and in this conversation he talks about his decade-long journey as a founder and his take on commercial EV space and Euler's plans to dominate the sector. Stay tuned and follow the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app to learn how to create a billion-dollar company that dominates its sector. I'm originally from Bihar and actually I was homeschooled for a fairly bit amount of time. There was an organization called Sulab International. They had sponsored my education back then to come up from Bihar to Delhi. I joined DPSRK program in sixth class. Then from DPSRK program, uh, then I went to Delhi College of Engineering then went to Cornell. So after undergrad at DC, I became very interested in robotics. At the end of the day, robotics is also your maths and physics, all the engineering and everything applied to it. So I actually started liking that a lot. So by, by the time I moved from DPSRK program, I was already like decided that robotics mein kuch karna hai. I mean, that was already there. And then when I moved to Delhi College of Engineering, we built a couple of projects around unmanned ground vehicles. So once I came to college, so that is what I looked at as an objective, then figured out US is the best place to do something in robotics. Actually, I took a year break in between. I was interested in building aerial vehicles. I had applied to a place called Indria in France. So Indria translates to Mathematics and Computing Research Center, a national computing center for France. So I went there for a year, six to nine months actually. And there I was working with some of the driverless car that they were working on with Toyota. So I had been while applied to Cornell before going there. So after I received admit from Cornell, so I went to Cornell to did my master's. There also I worked with aerial vehicle team, underwater vehicle team. So electric vehicle, it is all, I think if you think from kid to undergrad to grad, I was building all sorts of electric vehicles. Some could fly, some could go underwater. It's just that at Euler, we are building like a bigger form factor of vehicles. So that Cornell, there was an ad startup called Moat that I was working on in New York for almost a year. And then I went to Yahoo Search in California, worked with them as well for a year and a half or something like that. So there was that entirely two, three places where I had good interaction with the like, you know, some of the other folks in similar area in machine learning and computer vision, uh, mathematics. Uh, so, so good time spent there, but there was always in back of mind India Basically, my first startup was an excuse to come back to kind of India. Smartphone was disrupting the feature phone market here, and we saw a huge opportunity to build something in that space. 
and I, I just seized that opportunity and came here, started my first company. What happened to the love for robotics? At that time, when I was graduating in 2011, the robotics job required you to have U.S. citizenships and green card in U.S. Because of that, all, almost all robotics companies had a defense contract and there was post 9-11, there was all kinds of things that was built in. So that was where I got stuck. So my love for robotics had to go away because I was not qualifying for anything. Any robotic, any company that was doing robotics was not there. So 2012, you started your first startup in India? Yes, yes, yes. So you started in US and then came roughly around, I think, 13 early that way. So one year I struggled in US and then came to... So what was, like, tell me the genesis, like, what was the idea? And did you have savings with you to bootstrap it? Or how did you get it off the ground? And what was the white open space you saw because of which you wanted to do this business? Basically, I mean, I started Cube Six with the thought process that most of the, I mean, it started with phones, but you can expand it to other devices as well, that the feature phones was getting disrupted. You had more compute power available on the phone. You had different sensors like camera, accelerometers, gyroscope. So there are other sensors that are there. It has compute power. So the thought process was, can phone use all of these sensors, can use some of the compute power and be more intelligent rather than being device for texting and calling. So that was like, so interaction piece with the part that I was always fascinated. By the way, so all, throughout all of this career, big fan of Star Wars, Marvel, all of these robotics, all of, so it always pushed that boundaries of intelligence for you. So as devices, we could, I was trying to figure out, can you communicate with them much more? in a much better, or devices can communicate to you in a better fashion. One of the early thing I remember that we were building is let's just say you and I are having a conversation, a third person walks into the room and even if one of them looks at the other person, the other person pauses the conversation or and then let's just say the third person and the first person's interaction finishes or the third person leaves the room and then they resume. Right? We built this feature called look away to pause in the uh, video player for some of the Android phone. So if you're watching a video and let's just say you look at something else, so you're watching and you look at some content that you were consuming with pause and then once you look back, it would automatically start playing. It. Is this a B2B thing that, that you're building features which app makers can plug into their apps or did you want to actually build apps? So it was, the idea was to power the phone. So whether it's OEM that can integrate it in the gallery app or the video player or a video player company takes it and integrates. For us, it was more of how do you make phones smarter? And that was how do you make device smarter? That was, I would say, one line that we had written for Chip26. So that was the thought process. And we meaning you had co-founders in this or you were? Yes, so there were three co-founders. There's Akash and there are Abilek. Uh, we all actually were roommates in Silicon Valley. Akash used to work with Oracle. Abilek used to work with Arista Network and I was with Yahoo. So we all three were roommates. And we all three went to Cornell as well. So we we had seen each other, but we I had interacted with Abilek mostly, and but we've known each other because of the Indian community over there, but not done much work. Participated in one or two hackathons together, so that was like the most I had done. So when I, I came, so I was originally in New York and then went to Silicon Valley, so these guys were there. So India was the third largest smartphone market back then. Second or third, like China, US and India, these were the only two, three markets that meant something. So India, naturally, then I looked at 
the way India market was fragmented, there was no sort of carrier control over phones. You had Micromaxis, Carbon, Solo, lovers of the world. So that's where we started talking to them, figuring out. So I would stay up in the night in US to talk to them in India. And then we started, we pitched them this idea. They really liked it. Micromax was the first one to respond to the idea. I, I remember speaking to the CMO, I think Subaji. So he gave us that first break in the Micromax. So then he said, okay, this seems interesting, but we connect you to Rahul. And Rahul, luckily, was at that time, he was traveling to US. So I ended up meeting him in US. I showed him the app. So he really liked it. And then he said, let's let's run it on Micromax phone if it's possible. Then we tried to start working with them. So me and Pasha Bilek would spend the night working with Indian timetable because most of the guys are awake in, in China and would wake up early. So that was still better. But India was like fairly opposite side. So our timetable was completely reversed. And so that's when we decided if we have to build this, let's go to India and build it. Did you get the Micromax deal? Yeah, yeah, we launched, I think it was in one of the Canvas 4 or something. So I still remember, so we built, integrated, and their phone release was like 10, 15 days when we were speaking to them. And it was a immense sort of, I think, journey that we, I remember, like me, we all were working, and they had multiple phones that has to be tested, everything, take temperature, all of that. So we integrated and then we were trying to see their uh, live event if they eventually announce or not their entire launch had finished and they're not talked about that feature so we felt that they had not integrated but then at the end they had a special sort of this conversation about this feature and i think so that was the beginning so they integrated then they followed through in multiple devices a few lakhs devices actually shipped with that feature and that was also our 101 into business. So first time you understand about licensing, how do you license these at a what call? And then we started selling other features, getting into. So that's where we started getting into features. And then at some point I told them our original thought was to make devices smarter. This is making things in piecemeal. Let's build the entire smartphone and let's make it smarter. You were uh, so far doing all this for primarily microbanks or did you get other clients also? All of them. So over a period of one year, we were like true hustlers. So we got like almost everyone. So from all the Indian OEMs like Lava and all the Indian OEMs, Lava, Zolo. And then we, in fact, we then there were a couple of folks, Bani, Rohit, who had also joined when we had started in India. And we had Balavishal, like a couple of folks that stayed on to build Q26. And my brother Gaurav, he also joined the when we came to India from the operation side. So it was, I mean, we that is one thing that I really loved about India is like you had a lot of support fairly quickly on like you. Obviously, my dad, I remember, was not very happy when he learned that I was coming from US to India because he was like. We did everything to push you to US where the technology and things that I was pursuing, he knew that like US is the only sort of location that would give that kind of the things that I wanted to do was very limited in India and especially in robotics. So he was not super happy when I told him that I'm coming so early. But at the end of the day, I started supporting in the journey. So it was great that I would say start. But the team also hustled a lot of we you were talking about did we crack rest of the OEMs? Yes, we cracked some of the most of the OEMs here, we in fact went to China and we cracked Coolpad over there. We were, and they were sold in Chinese market. We were looking at Panasonic as well. So there were a couple of, so a lot of phone companies we were able to crack over. But it was always like piecemeal sort of work. So 
for some companies would take it for the camera, some would take for the messaging, some would take for different. So we had built different kinds of features where you could make phone smart, but there was no holistic sort of phone which could show all of those things together to the world. And that is where we said, let's build our phone. And that is something I would say that was also an introduction to building hardware. But so we said, before phone, let's get into other IoT products. Let's go through a hardware sort of how do you build hardware? How do you do its quality check? How do you produce them at scale? How do you distribute? How do you sell? We need to learn all of this because if you do, I mean, of the phone and then you not end up like doing a lot of the other things that are required, then it might not be, you might not be able to sell the phone as a brand eventually. So we started with smart bulbs. So we looked at devices around you. The, the thought is still same, making devices smarter. We looked at bulb, then we looked at how do you change the colors, mode, if it's rainy, at day, it's going to be a rainy day, evening. can it give you a different color when you're leaving the home so that you can take an umbrella. So we were trying to push that boundary of like how devices communicates to you. Can I, and did you launch the bulb and you were planning this as a B2C, like your own brand name? Yeah, yeah, we did. We did. It, it has fantastic reviews, man. I still remember people until last year, some of the early investors in Euler, they later got to realize that they had used our product from the previous, they never knew that was my previous brand. What was the brand name under which you launched? IOTA. I-O-T-A. IOTA, basically imaginary number, imagining, imaginary, sort of reimagining possibilities, like living in a virtual kind of world. And so IOTA was that thought process where we... And then we later renamed it to Rios. Okay, but this is like a D2C thing? Like you launched through? Yeah, it was launched on Flipkart and Amazon. That's where Flipkart had also the idea of Flipkart became an investor so that we can get access to a larger distribution. How do you build a distribution platform? So that is where we were speaking to Flipkarts of the world. When did you launch this? Like where the IOTA, this pivot to smart devices? So first smart one would have been in 13, 14, 14. And then Rios would, was an upgraded version of that bulb and that came in 15. It would be around that time. So yeah, something around 15, I would say. So, and so Flipkart was your first institutional funding or? Yes. So we had made uh, quite money from working at all those Yahoo and the US. And then we started making money through some of the B2B business. I remember we worked for Fujitsu and Wipro for different like assignments that would pay the bill for us. And in parallel, we would pursue this thing. So yeah, there was a lot of that time because you spent almost a year and a half without doing getting much of a break but uh, micromax definitely started helping generating some of the revenue helping us grow slowly so that we could build a team of five ten people we had also figured out way to monetize the devices help some of the flip cards and of the world monetize devices in a better way and the targeting and advertisement so those were and those were the worlds that was also brought up. So I had also a good understanding of some of these systems. And that's how Flipkart was one of our customers. And they became interested in what we were doing at Cooperage Lake. And that's when they had decided to invest in us. And then I remember, I think at that time, Nishad Burman used to head Flipkart. So he led the investment. Then he also connected me to Sachin Bansal connected me to Lee Fixel, Tiger Global, and then Lee also liked that idea back then, the building the devices ecosystem and the monetization of that eventually. And so that's how they had, that, that fundraise actually happened. So we were not looking per se for fundraise. Our real company was entirely bootstrapped. 
but a lot of IoT and everything had come post fundraise, not pre. Because with that money, I could think maybe we can go a step further and take a risk toward building a device. So then we thought about the alternate way of working with one of the OEMs in India and basically launched the phone with their support and journey. But then demonetization had come back then and all of their cash flows and working capital and inventory, everything got stuck for a couple of months. So that was like the final nail in not being able to do hardware and smartphone. And at this time, your B2B revenue was still there or you were? Yeah, B2B, we were still doing it. There was always like, so that was... It would not have been significant. Yeah, so it was not significant. There was still revenue coming in. So that's when we had to shut down the hardware division completely. We had to let go of the entire team and then we pivoted mostly to focus on the software aspect that we were doing. And at then around, and this is like around 2017, when I uh, spoke to PTM, which I think and I, that's when they were interested in acquiring the team and the work that we have done. Like a acquire. Yes. And by end of the year, that was done. The entire team moved up ATM. Almost every investor lost their sort of money in the process. And we could not see a very, I would say, a successful sort of outcome of the cryptocurrency journey. It was not like, I would say, the best part of why you would start a company. We had already spent, I think, seven, six, six and a half years, seven years building cryptocurrency. I think we had made tons of mistakes, but we also learned a lot in the process. So that was the, I would say, first chapter. So at the end of 2017 is where Q26 was acquired by Paytm. And I think at that time I was thinking about the next business opportunity. And so I had a couple of thought process back then to think about. And so one was sort of building satellite, constellation of satellite for India and use that for some imaging related activity. The second one was more around the electric vehicle. And the idea was obviously in anything that I was picking had a hardware and software component built in. And that was mainly because of my background into the different vehicles, whether underwater vehicle, aerial vehicle, or robotics that I did as a kid. So that was how why I was looking for something in the hardware and software space. EV over a period of, I think, as I spent more time with electric vehicle, the idea around obviously India had been doing a lot of work on electric vehicles almost from 2008-9 sort of era. So the questions that I had was mainly in my mind was that in the market there were a lot of like noise and very less signals. There were few companies that were doing great in two wheelers and then a lot of brands talking about the cars. But when the lens at which from which I was looking at electric vehicle was coming from pollution and air pollution challenge that India was facing. And this is also like when I had come from US and this is 2012, 13, 13, around 13 and spent like five years. And before that, I was like almost four, four, five years I was in US. So there was a drastic sort of change in sort of pollution that you suddenly it hits you. And then it hits you again and again every year. And especially in Delhi, where you have that winter smog. Yes, whether it's because of the crop burning or the air stagnation and different issues. So I started looking into wire pollution and also electric vehicle. So what I realized that, I mean, A, India hosts almost like 18 to 19, I think, top most polluted cities globally. And then within all of these cities and even globally that I saw, air pollution, 40% of them roughly was because of vehicle pollution. And then within that, I saw that uh, in vehicular pollution, your commercial vehicles are like 
one of the biggest sort of contributors of, of the air pollution. Two-wheeler was also coming in close. But India had a lot of like companies working in the two-wheeler space. So I started looking at the commercial vehicle, what people are doing in that space. That was obviously one lens. But then I also like, because I built that prior company, Q26, I started also looking at from the sort of economics point of view, because people at the end of the day wants to buy a vehicle. They don't care whether it's electric or nuclear powered or CNG powered at the end of the day it's more around the sort of experience that they want with the vehicle so in that experience uh, what we realized was as long as and this is more so true with commercial but in general when we saw what are the total sort of kilometers somebody drives in a day what is the cost of operation where will they charge how much time will it, it take for them to charge if they're doing at home if they're doing it at a charging station so we looked at all the things that are responsible for making a vehicle work the entire ecosystem your financing your servicing your charging station and the uh, sort of the supplier that is required. And then you look at the fame, then you look at the competition, Kikalko, Asadone Yoga, that as you're building, there will be players coming from China and will wipe you out. Like in phone industry, like, like India had like a lot of Indian OEMs trying to build smartphones. And then suddenly you had Oppo, Vivos of the world coming in at us who had advantage of scale and price point and they came in and disrupted the entire India mobile phone with huge amount of marketing. So look from all the angle and pollution at the center of it and realize here commercial vehicle there are very less players that are focused on this and this is a segment where total cost of ownership which is TCO makes immediate amount of sense because the vehicle utilizations are very high so at the end of the day people care about vehicle right and so let's just say if it's a cargo vehicle that Euler is currently building then the performance criteria are more around what kind of payload it will carry if you have a overloading scenario will it work the placements have a very different gradients than the flyover so will it be able to climb any kinds of basement what about hilly region these vehicles are used even in fields in rural areas so will it perform well in those so it's a combination of everything that sort of a vehicle has to undergo if you want the transition to electric to happen then the electric vehicle has to be at par or superior in performance than the, the diesel and CNG vehicles of the world. Most vehicle in commercial that we saw in 2018 were subpar vehicle. Whether you look at like the e-rigs in passenger or some cargo experiments or even the some of the other cargo experiments people were other brands were doing they all were like subpar vehicle and that was a big sort of question for me as well why are these people building like this and the answer was very simple that i received so there were two trajectories that i saw one was by definition when you make an evs uh, i mean it's a bit costlier than the ic engines of the world in terms of of course so most people we saw were taking approach where they were building the vehicle for the price segment that a particular product represented it. So if you have a three-wheeler that comes in a two-lakh sort of band, then people were trying to build an electric vehicle also in that price band itself so that the customer does not feel the burn of it. What that was leading to was subpar electric vehicle and hence your transition was getting slow. Because the drivetrain of an EV is inherently costlier. So if you want to, the only way to achieve the same price is to then compromise on other features, basically. Exactly. So that's where the biggest product sort of fallacy is what we understood which market was doing, that they were trying to look at EV at the same price lens of an ICE and by doing that, they were making an inferior sort of vehicle and because of that, the customer expectations were not getting 
match and the whole experience was going for a toss right what oiler did was we said ki yaar dekho you cannot people at the end of the day once a product and uh, the the associated sort of benefits are not changing just because the vehicle is electric suddenly a guy would not say ki yaar i'll start delivering lesser number of cylinder or a, or a uh, bakery whatever they are using the vehicle for their uses is constant they are mostly going to use the replace the existing in the same way right so, so what we did is we mapped those use cases and we made sure that the vehicles are matching in performance the price went up but because of the saving that you have because of the pure nature of the low cost of operation overall saving you still get because you are you have a low running cost we put a rule that anything that we do our ratio should match in a year year and a half i think that was a goal that we wrote for ourselves in terms of how we think about product how we think about building sort of getting into new segment and that's how we started building the brand setting up a vehicle manufacturing business it is inherently high capex i mean you would need a lot of money right from the get go so you understood okay we need to create an ev which matches ic in tco total cost of ownership instead of the one time price which somebody is paying for it so from this insight to actually launching your first vehicle tell me that journey did you get the capital together how did you get the know how in place are there some sort of government regulatory norms that you needed to cross to get the license to sell vehicles all of those behind the scenes things that's what i want to hear obviously it would be fair to say that when i started i wasn't aware of the complexity of the entire business had i been aware i think i would have probably uh ever though i would have thought more but so it was also like you know sometimes you say you know ignorance is bliss and i think that was true. the idea was very exciting and i could see that as a kid like some of the things that i worked on in robotics and on vehicles and then the purpose behind doing this right the idea was not to only think about the monetary benefit at the end i mean it was linked to like can i fix some of the accelerate the transition to EV and i think if we could do part of that in some segments a lot of other em will come and maybe it won't fix all of your problem maybe it just moves a needle and we need a lot of people to fix that needle it's the kind of pollution problem that we are in it's like it needs a lot of effort but the initial capital you would still need a manufacturing setup so yeah so i had invested my own whatever personal wealth that i had generated over a period of from the paytm sale paytm and then also us so when i was there so capital has been saved and that i had so that obviously that i had put in then there was some one angel that had come very early on was one of our customers for my previous company one of the longest sort of customer and i discussed that idea after like the sale that he am thinking about this and then i continued to, to take his guidance and then then one day he was like oh this is interesting i would like to put up the one cr that was the first check that kind of a float that 2000 so he had ended up investing like close to 1.5 cr i think he said that he can put in up to 4 then i said then hey, this is going to be super risky i don't want four let me take like one and then as i i'll take some more so i think we ended up going 1.8 and then i was speaking to all the venture capital all the investors in india globally so you basically just need one yes almost and sort of uh, i think we spoke to i think it was bloom venture that said yes i think they i mean they literally took the bet when like no one could a understand what it would become and almost everybody had said no it was that entire sort of a one year journey in which we first took vehicle from some other company because the idea was trying to 
prove that a three-wheeler cargo would work for an e-commerce. So we said, yes, building, let's find out what's available in market. Let's see what are the challenges. So we did that for three months and we realized the vehicle is not great. You took a vehicle and then what? You like were running a logistics business? Like you were doing? It was to understand, okay, let's just think if there is a, because at the end of the day, our customer was going to be a logistic provider who will be either an end customer or a logistic player. So we said, okay, if we have to sell it to them, let's become them. So we said, let's become them, live their journey so that we understand what challenge are they going to face. So because that is your primary, you become your customer and then you live that journey. So we picked that and then we took a vehicle from somebody in market. We took battery from someone. We assembled some of the, the already running vehicle that was, but we just replaced some of the things. And then we ran it, I think at that point with Growfirst was the first customer. I knew Alvinder uh, Pelese, so uh, he was kind enough to help me with the pilot. And and then we ran it. We did more experiments with Micromax and some of the use guys back then in pilot day to realize what to build, what not to build. Because you build everything if you would really want to, but the answer lies in saying no to a lot of things. So we realized the battery, the electronics, the wares, these are the important parts that you need to build over a period of time. Everything else India is good at. It's, I think, partnering with the right companies over there and you can partner with them and build your business around that. That was one learning. Then we obviously, we started building our own product. I, I don't think we had a line or anything back then. There was this vendor in, and we talk about it internally a lot. So they used to make these e-rickshaw for a lot of with the Indian players. So they were back-end manufacturer for the biggest of the OEM. So we ended up like working with them. So like we... We used to sit in there. So we didn't have any developers or engineers or whatever you say. It was the first engineer in the team as well while thinking about. So I had assembled a couple of people, but there was that time no engineer. So we sat at this manufacturing company and then I would hand draw things. Then there was a person who was kind enough to like convert it in CAD, the things that I used to tell him. And this is also like where I was telling Akshara, like the passion for engineering was always there. So that's something that I enjoyed anyway. So it was not something that I was feeling here like I have to go in the morning to do it like I would very happily go yeah and this is a factory where you don't have air conditioned and stuff like but still super super happy so we spent time over there building the chassis with them we saw a lot of, because they were also building a lot of vehicle for other companies so you could take inspiration also very quickly and then they had this extra space in their own factory which was like for scrap and garbage and different things. So we had got that cleaned and we started, you know, they didn't charge us any money for it. But that's where we actually started doing the first sort of vehicle assembly for our own pilots. And this is like pure like land. There is there's just a shed and so it would. So we would take their tools in the night. And best part was that I was blessed with like a couple of people who were there like even, even if it till 2, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, we used to just do some welding, testing and make just the testing the vehicle because we were literally on ground trying to build these vehicle tested and it's like Palwal sort of area so you also didn't have like very great road so you could actually test out and figure out all the issues that you're going to face that's ran for like almost six months early part of 2018 then when the first angels check came i took first 5000 square feet factory in free the world again this no fancy, no air condition. And every time in summer, like you had these heat waves, so it used to be very terrible sort of a phase. So, so we took the first factory. So there it was mainly assembly. So the supplier used to supply us the chassis and cabinets and then bodies. And then we would 
try we i had because of my previous experience i and Gaurav was there who was also a heading of operation at cube 26 good access and understanding of the china and taiwan so we could figure out the early electronics and components that are required for batteries and some of those things from there and then we started some of the early assembly in terms of your figuring out what components are required whether it's motor controller or so yeah right now no engineering at such good level it's mainly i would say you bring things and you put them together to get a product that you can actually test it on ground so this, this was like basically an mvp or in a way like a so what happened by end of the year like i'll tell you like end may what we had was around 20 vehicles on ground which were running for two three e-commerce companies we ended up up around five to ten charging stations and and which was again on rental so as we were running this vehicle our understanding was updating also like the charging station we create so we went leave some space to make those charging stations. so because we owned everything so we could change things at a very high speed so that's how i think the first part and then bloom saw that potential that that e-commerce is growing we've been able to do at least something on ground and by then i think this is like end of the year when Bloom had come in, but I've been speaking to Karthik throughout the year, I think from maybe June, July when he was talking to them or maybe a bit prior to them. And I think eventually it happened in near Diwali and I think by February they had widened the capital next year. So that we had also fully understood what are the things we will do. And then we had some early work done on the battery pack because battery was what we understood was single most important thing. So I ended up reading, spending a lot of time on battery with a lot of people globally in India, figuring out what are the things that are going to happen. And because of the pilots that was running, right, and majority of our time was spent during the summers of that 2018, that realization around heat and challenges around your battery issues around whether it's poor BMS and some of these things, I had that understanding firsthand. So our focus on liquid cooling or battery pack started. I think that's where some of our core today IP stands because those are the things that we saw firsthand. Battery, by end of the year, we had set up a small lab where we were making like one battery pack in two, three days. So we are not deploying like more than, like you deployed 20 vehicle in an entire year. So you're not making like hundreds of battery pack per day or something. You're doing like five days, may eight. So, so you could slowly test, build out and then... So that was like first year and almost every year Akshay since then has been, I would say, a just a bit better version of what I've told you. But every year, like some, one investor would come and say boiler. Then like by next year, it was Inventus Capital. I think I, I met Ruthwek, I think through an introduction by an investor that was invested in Cube26. So they had reduced together and then Ruthwick had come over he saw some of the work that we have been doing and the product and by then like we had built around this is a year later so some 100 160 vehicles were running on ground and had shown some of the early prototypes of liquid cooling battery pack then our vehicle also because of the hundreds of vehicle we also were able to understand what would be a right form factor of vehicle so we tested our with B2B companies, B2C, groceries, kinds of, we understood all kinds of payload requirements, speed requirement, and your cargo box and everything. Yeah, so that is what 
I mean, built in that next sort of product. Ruthwick, he really liked what we were doing. And I met uh, Samir at their IC. And I remember calling from Bloom before IC, ki, what are the things I should talk about? And he said, you like technology a lot. You should probably talk about technology the most. I think that's because everything else investor has to take a gut feeling and a bet that this and I think that advice really worked out well. And Ruthwick comes with a product experience background. So he stood up a lot of questions around tech in that IC meeting. Obviously, business and everything was definitely there. And again, they were like, I had spoken to around 30, 40 of the investors that year. I remember for Series A. This is 2019. Inventus OK had come at the end of the year, I think around December or something, November. And January, I think we ended up signing term sheets. Thing. So yeah, so it was like one investor out of that entire pool. Otherwise, so Bloom would probably would have to turn a bridge or like we would have shut shop. One quick question before that, and like before moving on. In a regular IC vehicle, that does that engine change? Because the IC engine has this, there's that explosion which moves the piston up and down. How is a battery-driven engine different from a petrol-driven engine? And how did you source the engine, like the drivetrain part of the vehicle? Was that also provided by a local vendor or was that imported? Or does India have an ecosystem of companies who will provide you that engine? That seems like the core part of building a vehicle. Everything else you could probably find vendors and assemble. So the concepts are similar, but here instead of engine, you have motor. It's an induction motor. Like a pump, like a water pump you have. Pump or a fan that you have. Or in- so induction motor in India has been building like over a period of time. The major IPs are are more around the vehicle control unit, the motor controller, the battery pack. These are the core areas where we focus uh, motors. Some of these things, we design the stators and rotor, but I'm telling you from today. But if we eventually outsource this to a Japanese-based OEM who make for us and then provide us these different components which we take internally assemble them together to make the motor and we integrate our gearbox and everything to make the entire drivetrain then we integrate your all the electronics battery pack to make the powertrain so essentially motor per se is not a challenge to solve it's just like a motor of any other electric device like i think the more interesting things that people have been doing around is the control of motor the efficiency just like even in right it's the one engine to the other the betterment comes from that additional mileage and so here also like how efficient is your motor in converting the electrical energy to mechanical energy and i think that's where the majority of work internally and with our vendor goes into that how do i go max amount of range on a single unit of charge so that's the end game that you're trying to solve because at the end of the day don't really care about what's inside to a greater degree. What they care more is the experience that's around the vehicle. That key, when I, this is the payload it can take, this is the range it will go. These are the boundaries in which the vehicle has. Okay, so the challenge is essentially taking all those components and putting them together in a highly optimized manner so that they work well with each other. Got it. Okay, okay, okay. So yeah, let's continue that journey, the Series A. How much did you raise in that Series A? Series A was 10 million, I think roughly around 10 million. By the 2021, Asian Development Bank had also come in. So we had spent time with them toward end of the last year. And we have been fortunate in the sense that a lot of investors have taken a bet on us. And also, every time there have been like new set of investors coming in and taking bet on So what is your current state of manufacturing? Like how does a vehicle get built at Euler today? 
tell me that whole process like from the raw material to the final vehicle driving out yeah so today i mean we are still like very limited because so far we have only raised like around 25 27 uh, million uh, so we have a fairly limited amount of capital to invest factory so we have a integrated facility right now where all your manufacturing r&d sales service everyone sits together uh, in a large shop today your vehicle when you talk about the raw material so if you look at the chassis cabin and the press welding and then painting all of that is outsourced so we have outsourced it to a couple of vendors in india we have given them the designs we have made the tooling with them and they would do the entire pre BIW integration BIW's body in white integration process so they would make entire body chassis cabin weld them together with them and ship it to our facility here in delhi then factory pack we make internally so cells would come from some of the vendor in taiwan and then in china korea then we would take cells from multiple of these vendors then there are components that are taken from indian vendors related to aluminum boxes wire harnesses a lot of those things some of the electronics comes from european vendors so we work with them on some of the key electronics some we make ourselves as well in battery pack then all that our manufacturing of battery pack happens internally at our factory so we don't take any battery from outside in our vehicles it's all 100% oiler then all of your instrument cluster all of those electronics also oiler designs it there are smt facilities in india who would make these and then give it give us the pcba chip so we would work with some of the tier 1 chip companies like your st or nxp or ltc one of these and then work with us under udp then you will assemble all of the electronics in house and the software is all control so your major right that we had understood back then like the software the electronics the battery all of that oil of control the only part that we don't control is like today we have outsourced all of the painting welding press or that and at this point of time we are looking to set up like the bigger factory that can do 3000 vehicle in a month capacity that's something that oiler is currently working on setting up okay and uh, what is your current production like uh, how many vehicles a month 100 okay 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 so that's a massive jump okay 100 to 3000 wow okay so it's basically a function of the space and the bit of automation that we are doing yeah so we so are currently we are going to go from 100 to 300 in next 3 months that's with the current facility and couple of facilities that we have taken nearby but the larger facility that we are setting up will do 3000 vehicle in a single month yeah So what do you think will be the challenges like 100 to 3000 that doing that journey how you must have got some sort of a road map in mind on what are the things to get right what is in your checklist there things to get right most of the things that we have done has been on the proto sort of a level so obviously in there in perf engineering challenge so we are continuing to rise because our competition is ourselves like the vehicle that we have produced or the one that we launched last year so in october we a first cargo vehicle high oiler high load that the ic variants that are out there our major competition is is the ic engines of the world we don't we would want as many electric vehicles so we don't compete with that at least in our mindset our main competition is the ic engines of the world so 
if you put an Euler high load, it will beat every IC vehicle that is out there. And when I say beat, whether you do payload capacity, gradient, or you do tug of war, whatever you do, it, it is better than anybody else. And what is the range? So this is like your, you have only one product today, the high load EV, three-wheeler high load. There are a couple more that will come along the way, but yeah, today it's just one. But this is your flagship product. Okay. Tell me about this flagship product. If you were to pitch the product to me as a logistics operator, what would be your pitch? So when we pitch, I think the thing that we speak mainly about is that this vehicle is superior in your performance and efficiency and design than any ICE. Other than government and everybody focused on moving to electric, our pitch mostly talks about how they're going to earn more. So the payload capacity of our vehicle is, for instance, 688 kg, which is roughly 40% more than any ICE engine vehicle. So their earning potential goes up by 40%. Because of electric nature, there is obviously as compared to a diesel, which would probably work at three rupees per kilometer, the CNG would be at 1.5 to 2 rupees per kilometer. Your electric is your 60 paisa per kilometer. So with a higher 20% cost upfront, a earning potential is 40% more. And then saving reduction is you're going from 3 rupees to 60 paisa per kilometer. So anything upfront that the customer ends up paying in the first set of like year, when they buy, it goes out in operational saving within a year. So that's mostly where it becomes a win-win. So they can, without thinking, they can place their fleet. And what is the range? On a single charge currently, it does 120 kilometers on ground. So government certified range at like 150 sort of kilometers. So on a single charge, which is the vehicle come with a liquid cooled battery pack. So they can also get fast charging done from our fast charging center. So in 15 minutes, there's a 50 kilometer sort of fast charging option available. And I think that's the the, one of the things that we realized that while people will charge this vehicle at home in a sort of a, with a three pin plug where they can overnight charging night charging in four hours five hours it will charge the entire vehicle if some of the customer we have seen that also drives roughly 150 kilometers in a day so they would do like a 15 minute fast charging at our station and then less worried about anything and this fast charging infra that you're setting up this is again a revenue generation source for you like you you monetize this or free we have kept it free because we cared more about the adoption but over a period of time we will work about both ways so interportability as in how can we make sure that oiler vehicles can charge at other charging station. And similarly, how can other vehicle can come and use oiler charging station? Like what is the percentage of adoption of EVs today? Like in, let's say, just this logistics operator business, like out of every hundred vehicles sold, what percentage are EVs and what percentage are IC? So actually, if you look at Pan India, forget about logistics. If you look at just the cargo vehicle segment where Euler is operating, and if you look at overall, so we are three-wheeler cargo, which is L5. So when we look at the penetration Pan India, it's roughly 12% Pan India penetration last year. The new vehicles that are happening is already like if you look at the three-wheeler cargo, it's roughly more than 50% of the vehicle that are being sold today in three-wheeler cargo is already electric. And these are like, I'm not talking about the e-rickshaws of the world, I'm talking about three-wheeler cargo. So percentage-wise, if you think Delhi has already hit the tipping point, so because of that 50% sales have 
I think Karnataka was the second one where I had seen that they were around 25-26% or maybe a bit more here. So more than 20%. Pan India, you have seen, we have seen like around 12% electrification already happening in the three-wheeler cargo. So this year, I think India will probably look at more than 20% Pan India level electrification. This is impressive. I think even advanced, like the US and the West would not be hitting 50% so soon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what drove that hitting the tipping point in Delhi? Was it charging infra? Was it government subsidy? Like from a macro perspective, what's driving this? The Delhi government has done a lot of work. The Delhi subsidy, whether you talk about the no entry restriction, removing of that, then the removing of operational limits for the vehicle, then the incentive. Oh, so for IC, there is a like cargo vehicles can't enter between, I think, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Some restriction is there in Delhi. So that is, EVs are exempt from that. Exactly. So they exempted EVs from that. So that was an operational sort of benefit. And so these were our, used to be our pitch to the main, by the way, guys, that you can do three trips in a day or if somebody was doing one trip you can do two trips so this is an operational benefit then physical incentives were like obviously you're removing of some of the taxes on registration pollution and some of those and then other than that giving that thirty thousand subsidy on top of the vehicle purchase and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.